going to talk about movies that weren't these like super canonical <laughs> everybody's seen it kind of movies yeah. and but I also I wanted to talk about movies that have really affected me or haunted me or, or something like that and this is one of them um, and this time of year puts me in mind of it so mm -hmm. i just suddenly thought ah oh, it's just that's just do night of the living dead so yeah it's um it troubles me in a different way than a lot of similar movies mm -hmm. i've seen it maybe half a dozen times mm -hmm. over the years i don't know how, how how many times you've seen it or yeah i actually am not quite sure but multiple, that's for sure. Yeah. I would say at least four times I've seen this. I think I was kind of primed to be bothered by it because I, I uh, when I was in like, I don't know, maybe like seventh grade or something, I got a copy of Dance Macabre, that Stephen uh -huh. King book about horror at like a yard sale or something. And just the way he talked about this movie kind of put it in my head as this it just sounded really disturbing. Yeah. So I, I feel like I was kind of primed to be bothered by it. Did it work on you? In the, I actually haven't read that book in a long time, probably 10 years, but do you think it ended up affecting you sort of in that similar way that um, he was talking about? I think to some extent, yeah. I, I particularly remember him uh, talking about the scene where the uh, chief of police, when he's he's being interviewed as his posse is in the process of, of killing all the... I feel like I should call them ghouls, because that's yeah. what they end up calling them in the movie, even though I think the whole thing of, like, can't say zombie in a zombie movie thing kind of mm -hmm. gets on my nerves, but I, I feel like ghoul is a good word for them. But um, the part where he just says, yeah, they're dead, yeah. they're they're all messed yeah. up. You know, be, because for, for most of the time that he's in the movie, he's kind of trying to treat it as a, like... Yeah, you know, it's this dirty job we got to do, but we're just going to kind of do it. And me and my boys are doing it. We got it under control. But um, I like the way that his composure, he kind of loses his composure a little bit. Like, he, mm -hmm. like I feel like that's the moment where he's kind of thinking about it more than he would like to. Right, you right. Know? And, and, like, I think that's kind of the thing that stays with me a lot from this movie is just the degree to which it kind of plays on people's discomfort with death and decay mm -hmm. and the things surrounding it and you just burial in general and all, all that stuff i'm not sure if there are really any movies prior to this that play on that to that yeah, degree I, I can't think of anything really so i don't know explicitly yeah i mean one um train of thought i often have in my mind is like anytime this movie comes up as i'm trying to think of the different examples where there is actually like gore in movies earlier than this but I mean, there are a, a handful of examples, but it's interesting to think of what you're talking about, that idea of, like, the ways in which, like, familial death comes around to, like, kill people over and over in this movie is, like, yeah. really um, pretty extreme in that regard. The idea that not only is your child going to 
die, like there's a potential for your child to get sick and die, but that it might come right back and like stab you a lot of times with a <laughs> trowel. Yeah. And eat your husband, who you're not really getting along with anyway, yeah. but it's still, you know. Yeah, or even just, you know, the whole scene where, what are their names, Tom and Judy, the, mm -hmm. the younger couple that they burn to death. And then you actually see in what I assume was kind of an unprecedented amount of detail, like that they get torn apart and eaten yeah. after they're dead. Yeah. And I can't imagine that there's many movies before this that really deal with kind of like, you know, plenty of movies will have like a sympathetic character die, but to actually go into the desecration yeah. of the body well, <laughs> like I mean, to that degree. I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, I don't know if you've seen um, Blood Feast or like Herschel. I've seen uh, a trailer okay. that, that bothered me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, what's uh, like in, in comparison, it's like Blood Feast, I think, came out in 1964. Four, three, yeah, and it's like much more explicitly gory. But because everything else is, so, I mean, I love the movie, but because it feels like it comes from another planet, and you have no, uh, none of the characters have any, <laughs> uh, you know, semblance of reality. I mean, it is kind of disturbing in a certain uh, movie way, but this movie actually is like, I feel like even movies after this that. You know, that level of bodies being torn apart, sympathetic character. There's something about the uh, kind of gut punch way it goes about everything that it, you know, yeah. leaves a real mark. Yeah, and even like the the degree to which, to kind of a corny degree, it, it's, it sort of sets up Tom and Judy as, as the two, like, they're like the optimistic young lovers. Yep. And yep. they're, you know, he's kind of like, where's that smile? Show me that yeah. smile that uh, in most movies, even if one or both of them were to die, they they wouldn't go out. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of unceremoniously. Yeah. It's not even like some great tragic event caused by some intense deluge of violence. It's just like they fuck up or you yeah, know, they and just it, kind of fumble around. That the guy Ben puts the torch down, kind of close to the the truck, and then they splash gas on it, and he's just like. Well, watch out for the, like, like just a second too late. Like, it, yeah. it feels very believably, like, how people screw up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It also is very believable to me how, like... Like, I feel like in most movies like this, even in the urgency of the situation, they'd have to kind of give a few more drama beats to mm -hmm. Ben kind of beating himself up over what went wrong and mm -hmm. what, could, what he could have done differently, but... He's just kind of in survival mode, and yeah. you get the sense that he feels bad, but it's it's not. There's no need right. to underline it or anything. Yeah, it just kind of goes on, and it kind of has that like sort of. Um, I mean, a lot uh, a lot of times when this movie comes up, people talk about some of the like documentary style camera work or things like that, you know. And I think like that scene is pretty interesting in that. I mean, it, there does seem to be the uh, machinations of like building suspense in a way but like in another way it just kind of se seems like you're just watching some people about to get burned to death and then <laughs> eaten because you know it like feels less uh, movie like I guess yeah yeah that, that was something I was thinking about a lot this time around is that uh, 
there's this weird, I don't know if tension is even the word, but I, I feel like part of what gets to me so much about this movie is that it seems like it kind of straddles this line where it feels ahead of its time, but also older than it oh, is yeah. in some ways. Sure. I'm sure part of that is just that it's in black and white. Mm -hmm. um, I would feel so differently about this movie in color. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, I find really unnerving about this movie is that it's like it's it has one foot in an established B-movie sci-fi horror kind of sensibility. Yeah. And then another foot in something entirely its own. And that unique foot, I guess, is like <laughs> like a much more um, disturbing and um, kind of uh, slice of life and matter of fact. It's like, I don't want to say pseudo-documentary because in some ways it looks more like an um, educational film or something. <laughs> which I think I think maybe they all got started out maybe working on industrials. Is that, or am I thinking of a Carnival of Souls people? But like, it does feel like this... So a certain plainness to it. Yeah. So then it's like a plainness met with these like grisly kind of things. But then at the same time, it's got the library sci-fi music cues. Yeah, yeah. And like talking about like, you know, satellites from Venus and stuff. And it gives <laughs> it this really weird combination of feelings. Like I think growing up, I did the thing with this movie where at a certain point I got into horror movies and I probably read about this movie a little bit and had probably seen some clips and maybe some, maybe a televised version of it that yeah. I half paid attention to. Yeah. And then I kind of assumed I had seen it and it wasn't until much later that I actually, you know, I assumed I had seen it in full when, in fact, I had seen some of it. Oh, yeah. And when I actually sat down and watched it, it actually was the part where, like, two things. When uh, you see, the first time you see the nude ghoul. Oh, yeah. And then also the scene you were talking about, everybody ripping up Tom and Judy and eating them. It's like, yeah. those two things were so... They seemed to come out of the blue as I was watching it the first time, even though I thought I had absorbed what this movie was about. I feel like people must have argued this at some point or something, but, like, there's a certain just sort of messiness and ugliness just rooted in cynicism or whatever you yeah. want, but just, just sort of this acknowledgement of the messiness and ugliness that can kind of go along with, like, human nature and just bad luck and things mm -hmm. like that. That... I feel like if this were a movie made in the 70s, mm -hmm. that would just kind of be woven into the worldview of the movie anyway, because I right. feel like so many movies from the 70s just seem, like, suffused with that. Yeah, just this is how it is. Like, but in this movie, because it kind of has one foot in this more classic B-movie world, it's sort of a more disturbing intrusion like mm -hmm. i feel like you could almost kind of read it as like the future of movies kind of like yep, yep destroying totally. the, you know totally. an older way of, of approaching uh horror in yeah. particular and just acting even like i feel like there's especially with tom and judy like they seem to be an older style of movie actor yeah. that you wouldn't really see for much longer yeah the plucky young kids on the who are trying to make it in life or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you could sort of see Judy being, like, this, like, Annette Funicello character mm -hmm. or something. Like, and it almost makes... I almost wondered, watching it this time around, 
if that's kind of exaggerated on purpose almost mm. because because there is something kind of corny about them that I think when I was younger I kind of assumed you know there's sort of some amateur amateurishness in this mm-hmm. it's a first film etc but I don't know I mean yeah. maybe there is something kind of knowing in that it's it's hard to know even if the actors weren't necessarily right. aware of it if they may have been cast because they sort of embodied this particular kind of like naive um <laughs> This is unrelated to anything, but I just have to mention it before I forget again. Harry, I don't remember the name of the actor that plays Harry, mm-hmm. but this time around, every time I saw him, I just kept thinking of Michael Ironside. Oh, wow, yeah. I which can somehow see this hasn't really, I haven't made that connection watching it previous times, but he seemed kind of like this prototype but but like less like michael ironside makes me really uncomfortable yeah just looking at him doing it like i don't know and, and this guy i don't think has quite that level of weird vague vulgarity that michael ironside has when yeah. he's just standing there but i i got like a michael ironside quality. yeah i think it would be very hard for michael ironside to pass as like normal whereas this guy seems like he is like the sort of like ugly normalcy of a certain kind of uh, dude of the era. Yeah. He also, I always think of 12 Angry Men with his character. Like, he definitely seems like one of the angry jewelers. That, like, <laughs> yeah. I, there's so many times where I, I, I don't know if he's, like, smoking and he flings it on the ground mm-hmm. or something, but I think there's some point where he does that twice in the span of, like, a minute. And yep. He seems kind of, like, a little more theatrical than everybody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Just interesting mix of acting styles in this movie, even, like, within the same characters mm-hmm. sometime. Like, uh, Judith O'Day mm-hmm. plays Barbara. When I think of Barbara in this movie, I mostly think about her running and screaming and being kind of catatonic. Like, mm-hmm. I forget that it actually just kind of gives her a few character beats at the beginning that sort of establish mm-hmm. what she's like before everything goes wrong. Yeah. Which makes it kind of sadder, you know, that, like, you know, she's set up as the person you identify with, Mm -hmm. and she gets just kind of, like, ground into nothing over the course of the movie. Like, the whole last half of it, she's, like, incapable of of anything, Mm -hmm. Um, and watching her descend into that, I had misremembered it as though... As soon as things go wrong and as soon as Johnny gets killed, she's pretty much, like, in this non-communicative, just I, stupor. Yeah, I thought but, the same um, thing. this time around, you know, she's actually sort of in this more survival mode. She's carrying around a knife for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it isn't really until she sees the half-eaten lady mm-hmm. at the top of the stairs that she really breaks. Yeah. And she does. she doesn't remain catatonic. It's like, even if she's kind of unhinged and not actually engaging with what's happening all the time. It's like there are times where she's talking or yeah. Uh, yeah. focusing on how Johnny has the keys to the car that no one else is caring about, you know. <laughs> I guess one of the major things I had misremembered about this movie, I haven't seen it in a bunch of years, I forgot that Ben kills... Harry, like, oh yeah, like, yeah, like just like that seems like such a, uh, you know, like you were saying a seventies movie, kind <laughs> of like nobody is, uh, nobody is gonna be all good, you know. It's like it feels like it in some ways you're, or I guess in most ways Ben is presented as kind of the uh, no nonsense hero who can cut through the bullshit to actually maybe survive, and he does, but 
that also involves like kind of murdering someone in yeah. sort of a not quite self defense kind of way, but out of yeah, certain... and there's just sort of a like being fed up, yeah, like there's a harshness that uh, that you wouldn't really expect. Or even, you know, there's that point where, um, after Tom and Judy get killed, where, where Harry won't let him back into mm-hmm. the house at first, and then he does, but then he just kind of freezes up and won't help him board up the door. Mm-hmm. And then he finally does and goes and helps him, but he still gets beaten in the face multiple times yeah. afterwards because it took him that long to kind of, like, get his act together. Yeah. Like, I, I wonder, I feel like I've always been bad at research in terms of like placing things in like their historical context mm-hmm. and things. When I watch this, I, I there's a lot about it that feels new to me for its time. And yeah. I'm curious how much of it actually is. Yeah, I mean I think like um what was this, nineteen sixty sixty eight? Yeah. So when's Bonnie and Clyde come out? Because I feel like Bonnie and Clyde is kind of like considered what, like sort of ground zero for the yeah. new movie violence kind of thing. Yeah. I feel um, like isn't that sixty eight also or sixty seven? I was thinking it must have been at least a few years earlier because I know that was one of the first movies that used squibs for people mm-hmm. getting shot, and it seems like, you know, this movie has has a bunch of squibs in it and I think the Wild Bunch was the first movie where they actually did squibs with blood packs, which uh-huh. looked like they had in this one. So I feel like it must be after that. Mm-hmm. I should have looked these. Things I want to. I want to say they were close enough that they would be maybe considered kind of like all concurrent with one another. Yeah, yeah, um, or in the same sweeping gesture. <laughs> Um, kind of just like this is the like low uh, low grade version <laughs> of that, you know, by some people's standards, I guess. You know, there was something else. Oh, I was I was thinking about that. They're dead. They're all messed up. And mm-hmm. the the other um, the whole thing about like discomfort with death and sort of the whole like the the trappings of of death and like actually dealing with human bodies and stuff the the whole scene where uh who is that guy he's like a scientist or the guy that's that's saying that you gotta you gotta take your body your dead bodies yeah. out in the street and douse them with gasoline and burn them yeah and, the dubious uh, comforts of funeral yeah, uh, rites or whatever yeah that's a very <laughs> i feel like that's a line that you wouldn't have heard yeah yeah like that there's actually a character in the movie that's admitting like i think doesn't he just say like they're just dead flesh yeah. like 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 calling of calling yeah. funeral rites a is that chili billy i i want to say maybe is that him i don't know yeah i'm just happy there's someone named chili billy in the yeah movie. and he was like the horror host in the on the P- pittsburgh station <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, that's, like, kind of the thing is, like, how in a lot of other movies, that kind of character would be sort of presented as the, like, well, watch out, you don't want to go too far and have no human emotion or something, but it's, like, actually what he's talking about, it seems like the correct thing to do, you know? Yeah, like, it's it's kind of a movie about rubbing your face (laughs) in unpleasant things, but not, like, in a way that weirdly doesn't feel exploitative, Mm -hmm. exploitative? Yeah. yeah, like because you know it is sort of rooted in this basic feature of <laughs> of yeah. existence. You know that like people are flesh. Yeah, I was actually thinking because there was this whole thing where the movie was originally going to be called Night of the Flesh Eaters, mm-hmm. um, but the distributor changed it, and Night of the Living Dead is a much more evocative title 
for me anyway. Mm -hmm. But it occurred to me watching it this time that if it weren't called Night of the Living Dead, you wouldn't necessarily know that you were looking at, you know, these zombie Mm -hmm. things. I mean, maybe you would jump to that conclusion or something, but like that, you know, it's kind of a ways into the movie before anyone comes out and says these are reanimated corpses. And because this wasn't really a thing in movies prior to this, mm. like it makes me wonder, like what exactly would people have made of it if it were just called Night of right. the Flesh Eaters? Like, would would they assume that it were it was something more like you see in like Rabid or something, where it's people with some kind of disease yeah. or some kind of like vampire situation or something? Or but even then, like even calling it Night of the Living Dead, like how did people interpret that at the time? Yeah, like it's it, it's, it, it's hard for me to kind of fathom how this would have felt coming out of not coming out of nowhere but you know that that there wasn't really a precedent for this yeah because in the past the idea of a zombie like was a thing but it was a sort of you know based in voodoo and the idea of like bringing someone back from the dead to do your bidding in this kind of like somnambulant kind of way that I don't think really involved any kind of like eating or like it it was always like this like yeah you were the enslaved to someone else's desires by being brought from the dead whereas this kind of like is so different in that it has no uh, agenda or something yeah it's just kind of a freak accident i was thinking somehow i never before now watching it thought about frankenstein Mm mm-hmm but I was I was thinking about it this time partially because I re- I realized that um, is it Bill Heinzman mm-hmm. the the who plays the first ghoul his movements to me remind me a lot of Boris Karloff yeah, yeah. in the first two Frankenstein movies um, which you know I wonder if that was a direct inspiration because how many other real touchstones do you have for like how a reanimated corpse would move yeah. but um, I was thinking you know that in that like reanimating a dead person takes a lot of work and like time <laughs> yeah. and and scientific knowledge and it's like a big you're like oh god finally yeah and then you know you're kind of left with this this kind of gross thing that is all messed up and powerful and, and destructive and and uh tragic Mm-hmm. And it kind of occurred to me watching this that it's just kind of this movie about this world of Frankenstein monsters, mm-hmm. like that they they're threatening and pathetic in yep. the same way and scared of fire. Yes, and somehow I, I just I never thought of that before, but it, it seems like all of them to some degree like there's there's something, but especially the the first one, the the, the Bill Heinzman ghoul. There's mm-hmm. there's this Frankenstein kind of quality, and I, even the the thing where they're capable of kind of like thrashing around, and you know they can like throw a rock through a window or kind of grab at you and choke you and hit you, but they don't walk so good. They kind yeah. of shuffle, which which feels very much like a Karloff Frankenstein monster. Yeah. I was like, also thinking the mummy kind of thing too. Yeah, yeah. In but terms of I, shuffling, I, uh, it makes sense to me on some level. Almost like you know they've still sort of got their strength and they're kind of coordinated, but it's almost like maybe their balance isn't so good. Like if they tried to run, they just kind of fall over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. not that they're too weak. There's just something with their legs or something. <laughs> the, the arms work better. I get the impression that this movie is kind of given credit as 
this is kind of getting off the subject, but like, I feel like this movie and Dawn of the Dead, for a lot of people, I imagine, have this kind of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back mm -hmm. kind of relationship where there's this sense that like, this movie started this whole thing and it, it's like so many things can be traced back to this and it kind of changed mm -hmm. everything, but that Dawn of the Dead is kind of like the pinnacle that it led yeah. to. Um, That's kind of how I've always felt about it. I like Dawn of the Dead, but I've never really reacted to it as strongly as this movie. I'm not sure why that is. I think maybe there, there's something about the kind of smallness and claustrophobia of this movie yeah. that helps for me, and that it does take place over, I don't know, maybe like a 12, 24-hour period or something like that, Yeah, that um, makes it feel kind of more dreamlike. Sure. To me, which I think, I think the immediacy of that kind of, uh, kind of gets to me. Like Dawn of the Dead is over a much wider time frame, as I yeah. remember. Well, it's also, I mean, I think the thing with uh, Dawn of the Dead in comparison to this movie is like, I think, uh, I mean, I think you're really onto something about. Or I agree with you in the idea of this movie being, you know, just so small and claustrophobic and sort of to the point and, um, you know, just like a real a singular kind of experience. I guess like Dawn of the Dead, I responded so strongly to this idea of like, what is this whole world? You know, it's like imagining yeah. like the expansiveness of how this kind of thing could be applied to a movie. And it, it like just feels like a, a strange and real feeling and hard to replicate kind of accomplishment with Dawn of the Dead in terms of its scope. Yeah. At the same time, I mean, I, I just like really appreciate the kind of uh, microscopic sort of thing this movie has. I feel like uh, it, it's a lot different, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of works in a similar way. Yeah. I, I, th these two movies, this and Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of go together in my head. Yeah, um, that's appropriate, kind of. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, part of that I was thinking this time around is because um, there's sort of a similar thing with um, just the amount of kind of mental anguish that mm -hmm. the, the heroine is put through. Yep. And I know Sally in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, she's not particularly... They have a similar kind of like every person quality. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like in a lot of horror movies, there's sort of this sense that like the person who survives the longest and who you're meant to identify with the most, they have sort of a certain resourcefulness that yeah. allows them to make it to the end or something like there's something special not special but but like there's some quality like i'm thinking of like nancy and nightmare on elm street like sure. building the traps and figuring out how to beat freddy but like you know in texas chainsaw massacre she pretty much runs as far as she can gets captured gets tied up breaks free runs some more yep manages to like jump in a truck and get away spoiler yep. and in this movie i mean it you know it doesn't turn out as well for Barbara, but it's this similar thing where, you know, she's just kind of in this horrible situation. She runs, mm -hmm. she hides somewhere, she freaks out. She actually has a little bit more of a character moment in that at the end, she does kind of like rouse herself to, uh, to start fighting off the, mm -hmm. the ghouls and, and saving Helen from being killed by them. Although then she's immediately you know, yeah, overcome Johnny. by them, and then uh, Helen goes downstairs and gets killed anyway. Yeah. And that's something I can't imagine you would have seen much prior to this, oh, is, is kind so. of this, like, moment of, like, I found my courage! I'll save you! And then I died immediately, and then you died, too. Yeah. Like, like it, it, it's very, um... It doesn't even feel cynical. It just, it just sort of has this 
real lifey ugliness uh, to it. But it's it's weird because I don't watch this movie and feel depressed exactly. Like yeah. I I feel like the final sequence I don't know if depressed is the right word, but the whole thing of Ben getting killed and then like the time spent with you know the still photographs of uh, yeah. him getting I mean depression is not maybe the right reaction but it definitely is like a, a feeling of like it's a gut punch yeah <laughs> it's very much like ouch oof yeah it's as much as I like the movie as a whole I feel like that whole end credit sequence with the, the still photos zooming around in them and stuff mm-hmm. and the graininess of it I feel like kind of crystallizes something for me yeah. like I don't think I would like the movie nearly as much without that ending, or even if it were the same ending, but it were just kind of filmed conventionally. There's mm-hmm. there's something about it suddenly turning into like this newsprint texture that that I don't really know how to articulate it. But it, uh... yeah, I think I know what you're saying. It, like I guess my, the way I feel about it is it like there are a lot of times during the movie I almost kind of think like was this just like a happy accident? Like is this just like the culmination of a lot of people not realizing they were making a really amazing movie and then it just oh, happened yeah. and yeah. then that. And it kind of puts like a sort of like like a bow on it, just in terms of being like <laughs> there was some kind of real idea behind this, you know. I, I guess like yeah. a sort of acknowledgement of um, at least that Romero and Russo, I guess, uh, were on a mission to do something unique. Yeah. Although it occurred to me watching that 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 um, you know, given the the budget that they had to work with and stuff, mm-hmm. like the uh the posse kind of like sticking their hooks into the into his body to lift mm-hmm. it and move it and things like i can't really imagine a way of filming that that would mm-hmm. have kind of the same impact as right. doing it as this weird series of stills and things mm-hmm. so like i don't know it's just, it's interesting with with really impressive low budget movies just to wonder yeah like how much of the stuff that strikes me so much about it is basically the result of having to work with, <laughs> with a lot of limitations i feel like that's one of the uh you know great question mark of talking about movies <laughs> you know like yeah in uh, you know especially in terms of budgets and things like that you know yeah uh, and necessity th- being the uh, mother of the invention or whatever yeah and this this isn't a movie that i've really read you know like i ha- i haven't really read interviews with george romero about this or anything or like stuff about the making of it but it, it would be interesting to read although you know the the, the whole kind of like dead mythos and stuff is so wrapped up in him now that i imagine if i were to read a more recent interview with him I'm not sure how much I would kind of trust him right, almost right. like to, you know, it must, it must look very different now just kind of yeah. knowing everything else that it led to. Well, there's plenty of stuff out there, uh, from much earlier. I mean, I think I've read an entire book about the making of this movie. I think it's been a long time. I can't remember if it's just about this one or if it's about his first couple called, uh, was it the zombies that ate Pittsburgh or something like that? But, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've read so much, um, you know, from him and about him, and it's like, I wonder, not too much of it, like, really sticks out as being not what you'd expect. You yeah. Know? It's just like, if I remember correctly, it's like, oh, I, uh, me and my friends got together to make this <laughs> movie, 
and we did it on weekends and you yeah. know we used all the resources we could to make something a little different you know and uh, I mean I'm pretty sure he talks about Vietnam and the you know changing landscape of yeah. uh, America like pretty early in interviews and stuff like that and the crazies is not that long after this and that is I feel like more explicitly like everything's fucked up um, yeah definitely not as good of a movie at all but no but i i like the crazies mm -hmm. it, it it bothers me i feel like this movie and the crazies and martin i really like martin martin's a great movie um they all hit me in a similar way in how they end in that uh -huh. I feel like they have this particular kind of like bitter irony yeah. happening it's just like fu that, futility just like. yeah like, like you know because in, in this movie Ben gets mistaken for a zombie and shot uh -huh. um, in the crazies the protagonist is like in this catatonic state at the end and gets mistaken for one of the sick people and also the uh, uh, doesn't the antidote get Oh, the antidote gets, like, dropped down the stairs yeah, and yeah. broken or something. Yeah, and, um, you know, in Martin, he ends up getting killed for one of the few deaths in the movie that he wasn't responsible mm -hmm. for. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like George Romero does this particular kind of, like, gut-wrenching irony mm -hmm. <laughs> in a way that, that actually affects me and doesn't just kind of feel like this sort of cheap, like, yeah, the world's a shitty place, yeah. kind of. Like, it, it. he leaves sort of just enough hope and optimism mm -hmm. in his characters that you sort of feel like them getting somewhere is a possibility. Yeah. Well, maybe not Martin. I feel like you never really expect things <laughs> to go well for Martin. Yeah. And also, he's murdered people. and But he's so charming. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching Dawn of the Dead for the first time, and uh, I know that it originally had a much bleaker ending mm -hmm. than what they used. And I, I remember... Um, I think part of the reason it didn't really stick with me the same way is there's that moment at the end where the uh, the hero is about to shoot himself, yeah. and then he changes his mind and shoots some zombies instead, and this kind of, like, hero music starts yeah. playing. And well, I remember kind of being, like, <laughs> the first time I saw it, like, it just seems so, like, over the top to mm -hmm. me. But at the same time, I feel like he kind of needs at least the possibility of that for his yeah. movies to be watchable. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, uh, like, if you... I don't know if I'm reaching here, but my read of that scene has always been kind of this thing where it's like, like, that's like a bullshit on purpose moment. And then it's like, <laughs> you get to the helicopter, then it's like, oh, kind of like, now what? Like, what difference does it make, you know? Yeah, I, I kind of like the end of uh, Dawn of the Dead... Just because I think that is kind of his bleakest movie through the rest of it. Uh, it almost would feel maybe a little one note if it just... Yeah, like especially a, because he has so many other movies with yeah. bleak endings. And that one just um, kind of has this sort of like, ooh, I mean, maybe... Like, it's definitely not a happy ending. It's kind of just like, well, we're kind of getting away, I guess. Yeah, but what we does survived that mean? a little bit. <laughs> How about Night Riders? Do oh. Night Riders have a bleak ending? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. Have you seen that? I rented it back in the early, early days of Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching it for a while and being like, this is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. This is kind of... And watching it for a while and then looking on the thing and being like, this is really long. Oh, yeah. my God. I don't know if I can... And I, I never finished watching yeah. it. It seemed like not compelling, but sort of like... 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I honestly don't remember much about yeah. it now. I love it, but I do not remember the ending. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe it doesn't end. Maybe yeah, it just, it just keeps going for forever. Well, it does kind of keep going forever, but I, I like that about it. Oh, other random observations. Maybe I can move these around in the editing Ooh. so they actually go with the things that they are related to. You were saying before about like you know the kind of like public domainy music mm-hmm. cues. Something else about this movie that I feel like kind of like unmoors it in cinema history for me in a weird way is that that the soundtrack is kind of split between this very old school sounding dramatic mm-hmm. music and then these weird sort of repetitive like throbs yep. with like weird delay and echo effects on them. Yeah, like, and the sound when Helen gets killed with that tape manipulation thing or whatever they're doing. Yeah, where they 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 mess with the pitch of her voice yeah, in addition so to good. Uh, That's a weird moment for me. On the one hand, there's times where I wonder if maybe that moment would work better for me if it didn't have the crazy sound manipulation. Uh-huh. But it is kind of like the bottoming out of the movie in mm-hmm. a way so like I don't know if this is if, if this is going to make sense but I feel like it, it fills the same function for me as the dinner table freak out scene in Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre where it just kind of devolves into like this close up of her eye as she's yep. kind of staring around and freaking out like it seems like it's kind of this like breakdown of the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's kind of interesting you're going to say that because I was going to say that like that weird vocal effect thing that happens like I, I feel like it like affects me in a way that only Texas Chainsaw Massacre's like weird um uh, those weird, like I think it's like affected flashbulb sounds that they use oh, on the soundtrack, yeah. like yeah. Kind of like, like it has a similar like music concrete, like otherworldly uh, sound effects slash music slash yeah. nightmare indicator feeling or something. Yeah, where it feels it feels very like. <laughs> It's weird because it like the effects on her voice like it, it it sounds like it's something I associate with a certain very dated kind of like psychedelic music or uh-huh. something like it but there's something about it turning up in the middle of this movie like this is going to sound silly maybe but I, I feel like it's sort of this moment where it seems like things are so bad that the movie itself is, <laughs> is going crazy it yeah. can't, the, like the movie can't even cope with itself yeah I don't know my other random observations it's two things having to do with uh, Johnny. Mm-hmm. One being that when he turns up as a ghoul at the end of the movie, he looks like a completely different actor to me, mm-hmm. which has always kind of weirded me out. Like, I'm not sure why he like his eyes look completely different. Is it like, his glasses? He's not wearing glasses at the end. He's right? not. But I feel like earlier in the movie, I, I think of him as like having like kind of light colored irises and like little eyes, and then mm-hmm. at the end, he's got like these big dark eyes. And uh-huh. I don't know if it's just the makeup or something, but I almost feel like if they didn't have him wearing a driving glove. I wouldn't really mm-hmm. register it as Johnny, which leads to the other thing, which is were people really still wearing driving gloves in 1968? Like, was well, that still a I think, thing? I think it's a different version. Like, I think one of the things that confused me a little bit about this movie growing up and, like, as I've gotten older and learned more about the progression of, like, youth culture in the 60s and stuff... When I was younger, I thought the young people all seemed like squares or something. <laughs> and then as I got older, it was kind of like, oh, actually, 
he has by like 1968 uh, standards in square society like long hair he's like a long <laughs> hair even though he has you know he just has a regular haircut yeah and i think that driving glove is a little more in the like i'm a cool guy and i have leather driving gloves <laughs> and i'm gonna like i'm excited to get my cool stick shift skull knob or something i mean maybe not that extreme <laughs> Uh, but that, yeah, that is something I have thought of in more recent times. That I think that driving glove is more like cool guy of the time <laughs> driving glove as opposed to the old Sunday drivers with goggles and okay, and stuff yeah, because like that. that that always that always stuck out for me just as a little detail. Yeah, um, I, I never really thought before about like you know Johnny isn't in the movie for very long before he gets mm -hmm. killed but I, I feel like he's very like well delineated for the few minutes that he's around yeah. like I think that when I think of him in the movie I tend to think of him as the whole they're coming to get you yep. Barbara where he's like poking fun at, at his sister being much more exaggerated and him seeing much more just kind of like a jerk yep. but he's not really nobody in this movie except maybe Tom and Judy is really that exaggerated yeah. like it, like even like some of the kind of like histrionics with with Barbara it's downplayed more than it is in my memory like yeah. I, I think I think of Judith O'Day as kind of overacting mm -hmm. a lot more than she actually does yeah it isn't like just like a meltdown machine thing going on with her you know it's like different kind of things happening yeah I think with Johnny one of the things I was thinking about this time was just uh, like when he's sort of like lightheartedly scoffing at her praying at, at the cemetery and kind of being like, oh yeah, like I, I'm, I can identify with him. Like that would annoy the hell out of me also. Like I, I can like see that like, oh, like I'd be the kind of person who would like probably drive six hours around trip to do something I didn't want to do if it was important to my mom or something, yeah, you know, yeah. but still kind of think it was kind of preposterous if it involved um, things I didn't believe in, like praying, I guess. <laughs> the first shot of the Bill Heinzman ghoul is really great. <laughs> yeah. Just this, this kind of uninflected guy kind of staggering around in the distance. Not yeah. even really staggering that much. Yeah, like, just kind of shuffling a little like, bit. Like, I wish more movies did that. Like, there's something about just, like, here it is, broad daylight, kind of. Daylight in this movie is another subject yeah, I want to talk yeah. about. There's some <laughs> weird shit going on there. Yep. But um, just having him kind of wander in in the background like that that kind of thing is so great. And I feel like no one takes advantage of that. Like, I, I'm thinking of, like, that shot in Blue Velvet where, where Dorothy is all kind of beat up and nude and she just kind of, like, sort of wanders in from the side. Like, you don't really notice her for a second. Mm. Like, I remember the scene, but I can't remember the shot exactly. Yeah, it, it's, it's like this long shot where you can kind of see everybody arguing and she just kind of walks in from stage left, mm -hmm. like... No, nothing, no attention drawn to it. Yeah. Until one of the characters notices. I don't know. There's just there's something about that kind of stuff that just gets me every time. Yeah. But there's so few times that I've yeah. seen it. Yeah, I feel like in in so many other horror movies, you have the thing where the naysayer character is seeing something that's obviously dangerous and saying like, "Oh no, it's fine. It's just a guy. <laughs> He's not going to bother you." And then everybody's like, "Oh come on!" Like obviously. And then there's the conflict. Whereas like in this situation, it actually does seem kind of like just a little off or something from yeah. in, the, in the distance anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I could watch just a whole movie about 
<laughs> her running around outdoors getting chased by that one guy. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's just something so... I don't know. There's a, there's a feeling to it that I... I enjoy. It's weird that... Why do we enjoy movies like this? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if enjoy is the word, but there, there's something about it that... Uh... Well, I think one thing that's, like, probably pretty obvious and not some major insight is, like, kind of, like, the thing of, like... I mean, I, people talk about this shit ad nauseum these days with, like, the current zombie culture or whatever, but just the idea of, like... How would I do in this situation? Yeah. You know, like, I think I could do better than anybody else here, you know? Or... <laughs> Which is why something like the Barbara character in this movie is kind of unnerving. Because you imagine a lot of people would just kind of, like, fumble through for a while and then just kind of get, yep. you know, overrun. Like having enough of a survival instinct to get to a house, but not enough <laughs> of one to survive through the night, kind of. I mean, I guess... Maybe with like Walking Dead being as popular as it is, or something. Maybe maybe this is just like a universal thing. But I've noticed that that I have a real soft spot for movies in which like this total kind of societal breakdown mm-hmm. is part of the plot. Like yeah, yeah just just scenarios where it just seems like day to day life is sort of like crumbling for one reason or another. Right. I think that's part of what I respond to in the crazies or, you know, invasion of the body snatchers or, or rabid. Something about, mm. like, this kind of gradual spread of something that's just kind of, like, upending everything yep. and, and just kind of leaving you to... I don't know why I'm so drawn to that stuff. Um, well, I, that kind of stuff usually is pretty popular with people when it seems like... <clears throat> Almost like that's what we're waiting for to happen, <laughs> you know. Like when's the foot, uh, the other foot gonna drop, the other shoe, the other foot. Uh. <laughs> I almost wonder if part of it is that there's something kind of like inherently childish about it, or something. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the adult world, all that stuff's kind of stupid. Right. Really, you're just gonna kind of run and survive and try not to get yeah. sick and like. Yeah. Also, I think that. I'm often drawn to, especially with horror movies, I I feel like I can tell there's a correlation between how strongly they affect me and how much I associate them with the kinds of dreams I have. Because you generally don't dream about, at least I don't, dream about kind of like mundane, day-to-day routine kind of things that much. Like, like there's something... Usually when I can remember my dreams, there's something heightened, you know? There's this kind of like... I don't know, just sort of a feeling of, yeah, kind of like normal day-to-day stuff is kind of suspended, and you're just dealing with this one right. situation. And I don't know if that has something to do with it, maybe, but... I do Sometimes my nightmares are, like, those kind of day-to-day things taken to, like, this, like, exhausting extreme <laughs> level or something. Um, and it's more about, about, like, boredom or being, like, trapped in a, in a boredom scenario, and that's what's, like, terrifying me. <laughs> I don't know if I really have dreams like that. A lot of my dreams that are, like, at, like just, like, scary, quote-unquote, are, like, I'm watching a movie, I'm in a movie, and kind of part of making the movie at the same time. Yeah. I've had, I've had my share of those. I've even had, I've had, like, horror dreams where it's me reading a scary book. Oh, wow. But I'm all, it's also sort of really happening to me mm-hmm. that somehow that breaks down. Yeah. Yeah, I've had, I've had kind of a lot of dreams 
that are, yeah, kind of this mix between watching a movie, but also sort of like the movie's real, but also sort of like I'm an actor in the movie, yeah, that's... but I'm not sure where the camera crew is, and also I'm improvising everything, because <laughs> in the dream that world, that's how movies get made, yeah. I guess. I think probably one of the most terrifying dreams I ever had, I was like a kid, I want to say like, I don't know, maybe like 12 or something like that. And I dreamt that they were making a sequel to Child's Play in my grandmother's house where I had lived for a little while. And it was like there were some scary things going on and like the prop of Chucky was frightening to me. But it was actually the feeling of like the sh this movie shoot going on forever and ever and that I was so bored and I wanted the house back to normal. That was like the actually super scary thing. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this. This child's play sequel they're shooting in my house is getting so mundane. Yeah. Having to live with like the boredom of being low level scared with this Chucky prop hanging out. <laughs> like I wasn't like terrified of it. It was just kinda like, oh, this is making me feel kind of uncomfortable. I actually had a dream once that I was Wesley Snipes <laughs> making this kind of like shitty like some movie akin to like the remake of Rollerball or something uh -huh. just some like mid-budget not gonna make any money sci-fi action crap uh -huh. but um I remember in the in the dream um some scene where I as Wesley Snipes as the character Wesley Snipes was playing had to like reminisce about um, my dead wife and cry and oh, I remember wow. crying in the dream and being like I'm a really good actor <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah yeah <laughs> but I digress <laughs> yeah I'm not sure what else to say about this movie yeah, um, I except that I was more distracted than usual by this time by the weird kind of sometimes it's usually it's nighttime but sometimes it's the middle of the day yeah i actually noticed that more than i think i ever had this time also maybe because i was thinking too hard because i knew i was or paying attention too much <laughs> you knew you would be talking about you would be quiz somehow before i always even though that the police chief you know shows up as part of the posse at the end he's getting interviewed in like bright Yep. daylight and i think somehow i just always assumed he was in some other part of the country yeah. which doesn't make sense because it's it's an east coast problem in the movie yep. and also he talks about it being nighttime i think during oh the really interview. i think so <laughs> i think he says like yeah we're gonna keep going through the night but oh, it's, yeah. it's like you know the sky is like blindingly Obviously. white behind yeah. him and there's also, somehow I never noticed before that one shot um, when they're trying to get the truck over to the gas pump. And not only is it daylight, but I swear it looks like they're in the same spot where they, where Ed Wood films, filmed those weird shots of Bela Lugosi walking around <laughs> in Plan 9 from Outer Space, which are also these bright daylight shots yeah. in the middle of a night scene. But it, it's a very similar setting, yeah. and it kind of looks like it's not... Like, not only is the light wrong, but it, it, it kind of looks like they're not even in the same place that they were in the other shots or something. I but. think I noticed that shot, but, like, gave it, like, some sort of, like, <clears throat> leeway. Like, you know, I, I've seen so many movies with, like, the worst day for night <laughs> type stuff, and I just kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, but, yeah, the thing with the police chief, like, that, it's hard to ignore the, the <laughs> uh, uh, contrast between... 
what it's like for them in the house and for him over there. I do really like, though, the part early on when Barbara is in the house and she looks outside and it's, like, suddenly the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Like, somehow, even though that doesn't really make sense, it makes sense to me. And again, Mm -hmm. maybe that's the, like, dream scenario thing again. But, like, just this feeling of, like, oh, man, I've, like, been in here for hours. Like, Mm -hmm. this has been taking forever. Just the way time can kind of, like, dilate or contract when you're in a weird situation. I actually, yeah, I I really like that. Yeah, and they mention, you know, in the beginning, the thing about, like, daylight savings and the summertime and stuff (laughs) like that and how it was bright really late. I wonder if that was them trying to, like, I I don't know. Maybe at some point they tried to explain it by saying that it had something to do with the radiation. I almost feel like there are movies where they would do that. Like, they'd be like, also, the radiation might uh, make it seem like it's daytime some of the time, but not all the time. But at the same time, like, these things don't even really matter to me that much. I I mean, in a way, they're almost endearing Mm -hmm. to me. If they weren't there, I feel like I'd almost miss them a yeah. little bit. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that feeling of this movie coming out of fucking Pittsburgh, <laughs> you know, made by people who, you know, are, like, not feature filmmakers, like, is a big part of what makes a movie great. And if it was just totally slick, it would kind of make that feeling a lot less uh, visible or feelable or whatever. Yeah. I feel like there's something about a certain kind of, like, low-budgetiness or ricketiness in horror movies that actually makes them scarier to me because it. I feel like it makes them more unpredictable. Yeah, definitely. Like, even just in terms of things like how graphic a movie is going to get mm. or just, like, what it's going to be able to pull off. Even though I feel like this movie is really well made in a lot of ways, there is also this kind of wobbliness to it. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, in a way, I feel like that's sort of part of its power for me, is that, like, you know, a slicker movie probably wouldn't have this crazy, psychedelic, manipulated screaming when one of the characters dies. Like, not that that's even a shoddiness thing, but it's it's a weird decision. And I feel like... As more money gets involved and and people with more established ways of doing things get involved, you tend to see less weird decisions and less things that kind of blindside you. I mean, I think you just described, like, one of the main reasons why I've, like, devoted a big chunk of my life to, like, seeing and finding out about, you know, more low-budget Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's nice to be surprised. (laughs) I don't know. Like, when we were talking about Christmas Evil, I Mm -hmm. remember, like, I know you and I differ on whether Christmas Evil would really be considered a good movie. Yeah. But it just keeps coming at you from different directions. (laughs) And there's something about that that I, uh, that I treasure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big example of that. Just, uh, that feeling seeing Christmas Evil the first time and not knowing what I was in for at all and just the, the, the like movie magic oh, <laughs> sure. you know, like yeah. taking me into the into uh, onto a new plane or I don't know I think of like seeing Suspiria for the mm-hmm. first time you know there's something kind of hokey about Suspiria but it mm-hmm. also goes to some really weird places that I feel like if Dario Argento were less of a crazy weirdo, you know, the movie would probably 
look more like other movies and maybe be less silly in some ways yeah, and but not also... have a room that's a pit full of razor wire <laughs> yeah or you know like just uh I, I feel like there's a certain kind of like maturity that a lot of directors would gain that wouldn't really let you have a movie where you like you stumble into this room and there's this invisible woman Mm-hmm. who's got this weird, like, goofy voice, and she's like, see that door? Hell is inside that door! <laughs> like, it's, it's like, so... It, it seems like such a wrong decision that yeah. it, it becomes, like, brilliant. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so hooray for weird, rickety, crazy, inventive horror filmmaking. Cheers to that. 